Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the A Word of Good podcast. My name is Gethin Aiden and my guest today is Holder Akita. Holder is a HR generalist supporting HR initiatives and providing specialist advice and guidance to identify where HR can add value. Currently working towards level 5 CIPD Diploma in Human Resources Management, Holder's long-term interest is to specialise in employee engagement and employee well-being. As a young black woman working in HR, Holder spoke to me about her own experiences of racism and what HR needs to do next following the outpouring of support for the global Black Lives Matter movement. I'm incredibly grateful to Holder for helping me on my own journey to becoming more anti-racist and for her candour and honesty at what is a difficult time for black people across the world. Please welcome Holder Akita. Hi Holder, how are you? Hi Gethin, how are you? I'm I'm good, thank you. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad, thank you. So how's uh how's the last couple of weeks been for you? Um in all honesty, it has been quite challenging um at times. Um what is going on right now with the protests and the brutal murder of George George Floyd has I think unearthed in us as a race the pain that we feel on a daily basis. Um, for me personally, it has been quite an anxious time, if I want to be honest with you. Um, I've felt all sorts of emotions. I've cried, I've gotten angry. And I think when I have that moment of reflection, I am just asking myself why. Why did we get to this? Why has it continued to get to this? Um, and why isn't anybody listening? Do you feel like people are listening now? Does this, does this, the activism that we're seeing, does that feel different to what you've seen before? It feels different. It does. Um, but I would say that I don't want us to lose the momentum and I don't want it to be a situation where everything kind of stops when, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, everything just stops um, and people feel like, oh, we've kind of dealt with it, you know, that and when the camera stopped rolling, all of a sudden the attention leaves it. That's what I don't want us to lose. I do feel that people are listening. I feel that it's called out, it's called into a lot of people's hearts because of the evidence that we saw. And I think if we didn't see what had happened, a lot of people wouldn't be in, able to really digest the pain. And, and yeah. And Sorry, it's, it's, no, I was going to say, it's also like, this isn't the first black person that's been killed by police in America, right? This is the latest in a long line of people yeah. whose lives have been taken by police in America in particular. So yes. what about now and this guy? And I, I guess it's, for, for me looking on, it's kind of that the video is really shocking, right? So the video that surfaced is as shocked. We've seen them before. We've seen them in this country. You know, I used to live pretty close to a park dedicated to Stephen Lawrence. I used to spend my time there. So I was always really conscious when I lived in London that 
this is not an American problem. This is the problem that's yeah. all across the entire world. And I guess, is it shocking to, to me and other white people because when we live in this kind of liberal bubble of non-racists, we believe that this stuff maybe doesn't exist. And so it's shocking because it's a stark reminder that it does exist in 2020. I I agree with you. I do think that people, but then I think there's like two sides to it. I think some people have dehumanized themselves from it. I feel like they, they don't see, because it, it doesn't affect them directly. They, they don't feel like they need to understand it. And I think that's the problem. Just because your colleague or your friend is an ethnic minority, a black person, and they're trying to explain to you, you know, this interview didn't really go well because I feel like the manager felt like I wasn't suitable for the company. I don't know what that meant. Or if your friend confides in you about an experience that they've gone through, all you're really met with is, oh, that's really unfortunate. Like, I'm really sorry. But not everybody puts themselves in their other person's shoes to feel what they're feeling. And I feel like through what we've witnessed, and this is is exactly, it's, it's a long line of killings that have happened in America and in the UK as well. A lot of people just think that, oh, okay, it will, it will go away. It's never going to go away until we start having uncomfortable conversations about what role we play in it. And I think part part of that as well, so something I've been really conscious of. So I think I, about two years ago, I think I started to really check my white privilege. Uh, and I was talking to John Amici uh, yesterday about it. And what was quite interesting is I started looking at studies into luck. So when I was looking at stuff around financial well-being, I was looking at kind of what makes people lucky for a talk I was doing. And I found this study that basically was looking at, if you want to kind of look about you know, what makes somebody lucky, they were basically saying with all the research they they kind of went through, they were like, your luck begins with the family you were born into and the colour of the skin that you were born. And they basically said, if you're a white man in America, you are significantly luckier than a black man in America or a black woman in America. And part of that is because you would immediately start getting given opportunities. You would be given the benefit of the doubt more than black people would. You'd be given more opportunities for career development. Uh, you'd you'd go to more places you'd kind of you know just a whole host of economic and kind of um, lots of other kind of societal reasons why you would be at an advantage and so that really kind of stayed with me for a few days and I remember reflecting on it quite a lot and thinking that's right so like and then I started thinking about my own life and thinking about what have I been given because I'm white um, and I guess that's that's kind of where my journey started and I think it then got to that point where I started to become really conscious of how the lack of black faces on television, which has obviously been something that's been debated by black people for a long, long time. But you, know, you take a television program like EastEnders, right? So I've lived in East London. I lived on the <laughs> cusp between Greenwich and Dulwich for for a long time, um, and you know that it was a predominantly black community for the first time in my life. When I moved to London, I would be on a bus where I would be the only white person on a bus, um, and and really kind of got that. Okay, so this is what they, this is what they talk about when black people are talking about being the only black person in the room. This was the kind of uncomfortableness that they felt because you don't feel like you're represented among you know almost a hundred people, all crowded together. 
Um, and so that's kind of where my kind of checking white privilege journey started. And I and I saw something the other day that reminded me of it. Um, I don't know if you remember Mark Duggan, who got shot by police in London uh, a few yeah. years ago. Um, yeah. And I didn't know this until fairly recently, but the photograph that was widely circulated was a picture of him looking really mean, staring down the camera, head and shoulders shot. Um, and, you know, they portrayed this guy as a gangster and he looked he looked really mean. He looked really tough. And then the other day I saw the full uncropped picture and it was him stood <laughs> by the grave of a relative holding a bunch of flowers. Yeah. And then you were like well, that doesn't serve the purpose, right? You couldn't put the whole photograph in because he doesn't look mean. In the context of what he's doing and where he's standing, he doesn't look like a gangster. So let's crop this and make it look like this mean guy who deserved to get shot. And I just, it, yeah, again, it's probably my own naivety to this stuff and the fact that I live in this kind of liberal bubble, I guess. But even that kind of stuff recently just shocked me that that manipulation is going on. Definitely. I do feel like we black people are literally <laughs> portrayed as the most horrible people in society we are seen as aggressive we're seen as um like it seems that gang culture is literally what we're it, it flows in our in our blood it just seems that nothing good comes from us and it just seems that that's what the media tends to portray and you feel that you do feel that you feel that when you get on the train and you are you are the only black person most likely in in depending on the time and you sit next to a, a white person and they kind of hold or a white lady and she kind of holds her bag tighter i've experienced that i've i've gone into meeting rooms where i've been the only person um and felt like i've never had the opportunity to add to a conversation because I wouldn't understand or my my point wasn't valid or when there was an opportunity for questions while everybody is sharing i didn't really get to have that leeway to come in and contribute so then i'm left quiet in the corner not saying anything i've been that person who has <laughs> braided my hair and gone to work and been told that oh it's it's not really professional. You don't you don't look professional. It's 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 um it's very it's very difficult. It's hard. It's um a very you start to ask yourself, what does my color represent that I'm never given any sort of opportunity or equality to anything? Why is there never a a black director leading one of these great organizations or companies. Why don't I ever see anyone like me? And so and, we, yeah, sorry. sorry. No, I was just going to say, so we've, we've, you know, we are in the midst of this, this, what I hope is a, a, a kind of wind of change that's coming. Um, and we've seen possibly for the first time that certainly that I can remember in my lifetime, large brands and organizations standing up and saying actually yeah black black lives do matter there is no place for white supremacy in the world you know if you are racist we do not want you as a customer we do not want you in an organization you know some big companies making some big stands um similar i guess to what we saw nike do with colin kaepernick um, a couple of years ago 
we've now seen lots of brands kind of taking that stand. Um, what needs to happen next? Because they can't just be platitudes, right? We can't, like you say, this can't just disappear. This can't be like, always oh, changed. It's almost like the Pride Month stuff, right? They can't just change their flag to a rainbow flag and then continue being homophobic. These companies yeah. need to make a permanent change to how they treat black people and how they give them the opportunities uh, and the tools and a voice within the organization. So kind of what do you think organizations need to be doing next? I think organizations need to ask themselves, how diverse are we? As you've said, we've seen a lot of companies come out and, and really statements saying that, you know, Black Lives Matter and, you know, standing for it. But they need to look internally. They need to look at every department they have. They need to look at their leadership. They need to ask themselves, how diverse is my organization? How diverse is my board of directors? How board, like, how diverse are my line managers? The opportunities that we create are, do we have a diverse pool of candidates? Do we have black men and women and Asian men and women? Do we have, um, is there equality across the board? That's the question that these companies have to ask themselves. They they can't put out um, their values that are that speak to the ethos of their company. When realistically, they need to look at when they are putting these words that to say what they stand for. Are they saying that they stand? Do do they expect all colleagues to be respectful to all races and all cultures and all beliefs? Because what we have to realize is that we are human. We have emotions. We all work because we want to better ourselves in life. But a black person feels that they have to work 10 times harder just to even get a pay rise. And even then, they might not even receive the pay rise. They need to look at their learning and development opportunities. They need to look at training. They need to look at, as soon as someone is being recruited to a company, like for me personally, when I'm looking for jobs, I go onto the website of the organization that I would potentially like to join. I would want to understand what the company stands for. And I want to look at and see if there's someone that's like me. Mm. We have to look at mentoring. We have to look at leadership building because sometimes you get so demoralized when you go into a company and you're just there, like just there. You're just there. I it, it's 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 different. We need we need that passion. Uh, we companies need to be passionate about diversity. They need to be passionate about their black workforce. We need to go into schools. We need to go into universities. Companies need to make a stand. And I think HR, where we are the people, people, we need to be that driving force at every level be it HR assistant right up until like director level, we need to be able to make that stand in the companies and organizations that we support. We need to say, do you know what? Our people strategy needs to have diversity at the forefront. Well-being is very important, but let's explore well-being. Let's explore it. Let's, Let's develop it. What else can contribute? Why does my team member feel so undervalued? Sometimes you can have a conversation with a colleague or an employee and they'll say, I'm really stressed. And they'll, you know, they'll name what they think is right to name to their manager. 
when really there could be an undertone where they they are feeling racism, but they wouldn't want to say it because they don't know how their manager will take it. We need to be able to nurture our line managers and teach them and our directors that if a, how to be able to have these difficult conversations. We need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I feel like with everything that's going, it's never going to go away. And I hope it doesn't. Because right now, every Black person feels that they have the opportunity to take make a stand and say, I don't like the way you treat me. I feel that I'm not really at my full potential. I don't feel like there's anyone who looks like me. Why is that? And you touched upon something there I wanted to talk to you about as well, was about well-being at work. Obviously, this is a well-being podcast. Um, yeah. The, the Part of the reason why I've wanted to kind of hand the guest slots over to, um, to black people um, for the time being is because when I was writing some stuff recently, I found that uh, one in three UK adults said that they experienced or witnessed racism at work. Um, and around a third of employees uh, who had been subjected to racism at work said they'd taken a period of sick leave as a result. So there's this very hidden reason why uh, um, black employees and employees of colour are taking time off work. You know, that's a third. That's you know, that's a significant number. Um, and unsurprisingly, that's all having a negative effect on the lives of black people. So I also found that racism shortens the lives and hurts the health of black people. Uh, and there's been a 73% increase in suicide attempts among black teens in 2019. So with that huge focus we have now on mental health at work and well-being, we've got to do more for our black employees when it comes to well-being, right? Because how Definitely. we can't offer mindfulness apps or occupational kind of health schemes and that kind of stuff if fundamentally we are making people, uh, our black employees, ill because of the way we are treating them through policy and uh, we don't have the right diversity and that kind of stuff. You know, if we're if that's affecting people's mental health, there's a starting point that comes way before you start buying wellbeing tools, doesn't it? Definitely. It's the conversation. It's the let's have a look at, you know, our, our, our absence data. Let's, let's really look at the data. Let's look at the information. Let's see what we have. And I can say from experience that I had faced a very difficult time in my career the undertones were racism and I went through a period of depression. And unfortunately, and I'm saying this, unfortunately, my HR department at the time could not support me because they didn't know how to. And so how... All I was... Yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, so I was going to say, you know, so you are... You're a black woman working in HR. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a, we know from research, right, that there's already a lot being pushed against you, right, as a woman and as a yeah. black woman. Um, you have worked in HR for a long time across numerous organisations. <laughs> what is your advice to HR? So lots of HR directors and HR managers listen to this podcast. What would you like to see them do this week? This week, I would like to see them reach out to their black employees. And I'm not saying just to send out like a generic um, email of you blind copied in all your black employees. No, I 
actually feel like there needs to be a conversation, whether it's on Zoom or Teams or whatever functionality, if they're able to go into work and have these conversations, obviously with social distancing and all that other stuff. I feel like we need to be able, managers and directors alike need to sit down with their black employees and be, be prepared to be uncomfortable. Because the first thing that our, our leadership needs to address and be prepared to do is listen and, and give us the opportunity to express ourselves and try not to judge what we are saying, but just be open. My hope is that they're open and they, they provide, they gain a better understanding of the trials and tribulations that we face in the workplace because you feel suffocated at times. You feel like you can't express yourself. You, you are told, and I'm saying this from experience, that, oh, she's just upset. She's always angry. Why should I be referred to as someone who's always angry? If you were to see um, a team member in tears all the time at her desk because of the way maybe she's been spoken to by management or how she's been spoken to by other senior colleagues, wouldn't that ring alarm bells for you to have a conversation with your colleague and ask your colleague what's happening? But then we should be able to make our black colleagues feel comfortable enough to express themselves because sometimes we feel like we can't express ourselves. We feel like we can't be ourselves because we don't feel like we're equal enough to be open, to really express who we are. It's like you feel trapped. And I'm hoping that this week, managers, directors, team leaders, anyone that is in a position of authority will meet with their black colleagues and just say, not just say, I'm here, I'm here for you, but really say, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. You tell me as your manager, as your director, as your CEO, what change needs to be done. What do I need to do to understand you better, to understand your pain, to understand your hardships and stuff that you feel while you're at work? What do I have to do? And it, I feel like, yeah, sorry, go on. No, it's, I was going to say, so it's, what's quite interesting is we, you and I are here talking on this podcast now um, because uh, you liked a state a status I put on LinkedIn. I think we connected because, um, I don't know, fairly recently, I think, but we don't know each other. We haven't met in person. Um, and you liking that post, because I worded and reworded that post many times because I was trying yeah. to make sure that me pushing forward a episode on racism wasn't about promoting my podcast but was about giving a voice to somebody uh, a person of color at the moment and so I was really conscious of using the right language and and it was uncomfortable writing it because I was really conscious of saying the wrong thing um you liked that post and I reached out and we started having a, a really frank conversation about what I could do how you were feeling yeah. at the moment, you know, what what could I do with my platform? And that's led to this. So we've got to this point where um, you have this opportunity to talk about this stuff, educate me and educate the people that are, are listening. 
because we started a very real conversation about race, which was uncomfortable because in that conversation, I had to tell you that, you know, I needed to think about my own, uh, my kind of the, the history that I've had and, you know, and kind of reflect on, have I done things that are racist? Yeah, yeah I probably have. Uh, were they intentional mm. or not? No, but have I done things that are racist and maybe excluded um, black people? I think it's there's an ugly truth to this, right? And uh, yeah. my um, my cleaner came in this morning actually to uh, and um, came into my little home office and just had a chat with me about what was going on in the world. And she and um, she's been self isolating, so I haven't seen her in a long time. Um, yeah. And she basically said that you know she's just appalled by it and she didn't think that this still went on. But then we had a conversation about you know what was what was life like for you when you were growing up and she said if you'd asked me now was I racist when I was a kid I probably would have said yes because the people I grew up with said racist things she didn't she's never considered herself to be racist and I don't think she is but mm -hmm. there's that difference isn't there we've done things that might have put black people at a disadvantage or not given them opportunities or we might have said something racist that we didn't mean but I think it feels like that journey to us becoming anti-racist and become better anti-racists is what John Amici told me was wincing so if you're not wincing at the start of this you're probably mm. not doing it right because you've got to admit to yourselves that you've done things in the past that have excluded people and that's got to be the same with organizations too right they've got to hold a mirror up to themselves and say if we're now doing some of the things you suggested this week to speak to our black colleagues and to get them involved and understand how they're feeling at the moment why haven't we been doing that all along exactly and that's the ugly truth it's the ugly truth because they probably like so many people just don't really think that it's something that's of a priority um they probably just felt like oh it's okay like it'll go away kind of thing but it never does it's a constant trauma for black employees a black person a black child and like your cleaner said, she doesn't think she's racist, but she's grown up around people that may have made racist statements and you've just kind of gone along with it. And it goes, it brings into play the whole nurturing aspect and how what we're taught. Because if you're taught a certain way or you're taught to fear a certain type of person, that's what we grow up in. So I've been brought up to be respectful to everyone, to be nice, to be courteous. But someone else might be brought up saying, don't be friends with black people. They're bad people. They're angry. They're dangerous. They're threatening. Or they're below us, if we want to be frank. Someone could be brought up to think that a black person is, unfortunately, what we've, what we've been seen as, as slaves. That's how we started. It, it may be portrayed, if you know what I mean. So it really depends on how someone is grown and, and nurtured and what they are taught. And everybody has a platform of influence. And I feel like our managers are potentially our change makers, our directors, those that sit in their position of influence to really inflict change across the organization, they have to really address themselves. They have to look at themselves and they have to look at themselves as the CEO, but they have to look at themselves as the person. And it might bring to the forefront some very disturbing realizations where you might have looked at a black boy in a hood as this boy's going to mug me. 
or you might have sat in a restaurant and um, seen a group of black people laughing and you're thinking, oh, why would they just be quiet? They're so loud. So it's, 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 it will make you feel very uncomfortable, but we have to kind of get to the point where we're comfortable with being uncomfortable. You have to be ready for the emotion. You have to be ready for it. So as we come nice. as we yeah. come to the end of this episode, um, you know, there is some positive news coming out, right? There is I've I've seen some really nice videos and speeches by people who are really doing some quite impressive things to become better anti racists. You know, there is uh, you know, not everyone is on board with that, but there are very high profile people who are kind of making a stand and want to see real change in the world. Um, you know, people like the mayor of Washington are doing some kind of amazing things to stand up to the president of the US, which is obviously no no easy no easy feat at all. Um, mm -hmm. What do you kind of what, what do you hope for the future? Kind of what what positives do you think will come out of this? And what you know, if we if we're going to try and think optimistically about what 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 might come next, what do you think that future looks like? I think my hope is that the future we would become people passionate about giving opportunity to everyone my hope for the future is that we will be able to use this time to talk to discuss to get over that the, the period of being uncomfortable and get to a period of being comfortable and that change is like paramount. That's my hope. I don't know what form the change will come in, but I'm hopeful for change because I believe that this is the season for it. COVID has come and changed how we behave in life in general. And it's changed life in a very <laughs> rapid way. And I think that if we are able to continue to shine a light on race and racism as a whole, we could bring about that rapid change. Excellent. Well, um, I really appreciate your honesty and candor and taking the time out to join me. Um, every interaction I've had with you over the last week or so um, has been uh, an education. So I thank you for that. I thank you for opening my eyes to lots of stuff. Uh, I thank you for taking the time to join me on this podcast. Um, I completely appreciate it's a difficult time for black people at the moment. Um, and so thank you for joining me and being so honest. I really appreciated it. No, I honestly, I, I truly thank you for the opportunity. Um, I think the way we started conversating, obviously, was once I saw your, your podcast, because it really stood out to me, um, the post that you put. Um, and then when I listened to the podcast, I felt very encouraged that for once a white man was using his his platform to talk about something that not many people want to talk about. And I think the way you reached out to me and in that time that we started speaking, Ethan, it, you were the only, well, the second white person who had actually asked me, am I okay? Oh, really? Yeah just a second well, well i hope um, you are i i think <laughs> when when lockdown finishes uh we will meet up for a hug 
I think we've all we've all we've, we've agreed yeah. we will we will have a hug. Um, uh, and yeah, I just I I, ha I hope things get better. Um, I have optimism for the future. I think, um, I think we kind of have to have hope that it's going to get better. Uh, and I will certainly do everything I can with the new education that I've got to become a better anti-racist and support uh, black people in this country. Um, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, hope you have a great week, and no doubt speak to you soon. Oh, thank you. You too. Thank you. <laughs> Before I end this podcast, I wanted to play something to the listeners. At the eulogy for a memorial service for George Floyd in Minneapolis, the Reverend Al Sharpton produced uh, a rousing speech that really gets the heart of what we've been talking about. And I just wanted to play that to end this recording. And afterwards, there'll be a moment of silence to remember all those lives that have been taken uh, by police and other authorities around the world. George Floyd's story has been the story of black folks because ever since 401 years ago, the reason we could never be who we wanted and dreamed to be in is you kept your knee on our neck. We were smarter than the underfunded schools you put us in, but you had your knee on our neck. We could run corporations and not hustle in the street, but you had your knee on our neck. We had creative skills. We could do whatever anybody else could do, but we couldn't get your knee off our neck. What happened to Floyd happens every day in this country in education, in health services, and in every area of American life. It's time for us to stand up in George's name and say, get your knee off our necks. But I'm more hopeful today than ever. Why? Well, let me go back. Reverend Jackson always taught me, stay on your text. Come back to my text, Ecclesiastes. There is a time and a season. And when I looked this time and saw marches where, in some cases, young whites outnumbered the blacks marching, I know that it's a different time and a different season. When I looked and saw people in Germany marching for George Floyd, it's a different time and a different season. When they went in front of the parliament in London, England, and said it's a different time and a different season, I come to tell you, America, this is the time of dealing with accountability in the criminal justice system.
Join the workplace wellbeing discussion online by tweeting your thoughts and questions to at World of Good Book. Thank you to my guest today, and thank you for listening. <laughs>